key aim of the white paper from the UK government restoring trust in audit and corporate governance is to improve risk management of boards. And in this latest Board Agenda podcast, two experts discuss the impact of the reforms on director responsibilities and oversight of corporate internal controls. Hello and welcome to this Board Agenda podcast. In this programme, we take a look at the UK government's audit reform paper, and in particular, measures aimed at improving risk management. A 230-page document published in March, the white paper, Restoring Trust in Audit and Corporate Governance, ranges across a raft of measures, but some of the most eye-catching proposals aim to change the approach to internal controls and dividends. With me to discuss the details and the implications are two experts who have closely followed developments. Joining us first is Matt Dalton, a partner in Risk Assurance Services with Mazars, where he leads a team working with global companies to help protect their businesses. Also with us is Steve Bryce, a partner and head of accounting technical services at Mazars and an expert in UK and US GAAP, as well as IFRS. Thanks for joining us, both of you. Thanks, Gavin. It's good to be here. Thanks, Gavin. Very looking, really looking forward to the conversation. Let's come to you first, Steve. Uh, if you don't mind, set the scene for us. What are the proposals in the white paper relating to dividends? So um, with regard to dividends, it's all about two particular aspects for me. It's about, it's, it's a, it's about responsibility and it's about transparency. If companies pay dividends, they reduce their assets and therefore have less liabilities, and therefore have less ability to meet their liabilities as they fall due. And therefore, the government have looked to enhance proposals in order to strengthen the uh, reporting regarding dividends and to make directors um, more responsible regarding those decisions. Okay, Matt, and if you could um, do the same for us within with internal controls, set the scene for us. What are those proposals? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So first of all, we, we really do welcome these changes to corporate governance, and, and really it's a, it's a change of a lifetime for, for most of us. Now, if you look at, if you look back to to where we are, where we've been, you know, this is really an extension of what we call um, Provision Twenty Nine of the Corporate Governance Code, where what it's really asking is directors to give an annual statement on the effectiveness of your reporting controls. So effectively, your financial reporting controls. There's a number of preferred options, but the preferred option is very much leaving it squarely with the directors to determine what benchmark they're going to use and how they're going to assure themselves. So this is quite different to, say, the US version of SOX, where it's very much proportionate and pragmatic and it fits within the UK corporate governance code. What's quite interesting, the steps they're taking to do this, though, is the first wave is really concentrating on the FTSE 350 market, and then after that, after, it'll take the first two years, and after that, there'll be a pause where we'll take some lessons and we'll learn from that, and this will be extended to all PIEs. So that'll include things, include companies like or universities, charities, large private companies. So it's going to be could be pretty extensive um, changes to what we've seen in the past. I think what's really important though is that they've got that step to be pragmatic, to be proportionate, to learn those lessons, and making sure this is going to fit. So if you think of say a FTSE 50 organisation versus a private company, they're two very very different organisations. So they've been very deliberate in the way they've done this in terms of being more proportionate to, to what we've seen potentially in some other uh, legislation and regulation overseas. So a lot of material there to cover. Let's go back to Steve first on the dividends measures, Steve. We have 
do we not have three main elements to the dividends measures? We've got to report on uh, distributable reserves, have regard to section 172, and we've got to report on whether the dividends threaten solvency or not, or assure the public that they don't threaten solvency. Just take us through those. Um, that's that's right. So if I firstly start with the uh, disclosure aspects and transparency aspects. So um, to date, there's been no formal requirement to be able to disclose the amount of distributable reserves a company's got within its annual report. Some have done this voluntarily, but most have, dis- have actually uh, given no information at all. Ultimately, accounting profits differ from distributable profits, and therefore one needs to consider what is realised, and that's where the challenge, that's where really the challenges lie, and for companies to determine what is realised. And to date, guidance has been given um, from institutes um, in terms of uh, to determine what is and what isn't a realised profit for distributable reserves purposes. So whilst distributions really are a company issue, actually, ultimately, what's seen as more relevant information is what is distributable from the perspective of a group. And therefore, the requirements look at both the company position and also to give an indication or an estimate of what a company's distributable reserves would be at a group level. Now, there's going to be some challenges in that. um, And one aspect regarding that is whether you give an estimate or whether you give a narrative disclosure or a not less than this amount um, type of form of disclosure. So um, formal requirements to sort of put something in your accounts, whether it's numerical or whether it's narrative disclosures. So that's the sort of the first aspect. The second aspect concerns that responsibility side. And uh, the responsibility comes in in two stages, really. First of all, for the directors to make a formal statement of the legality regarding the dividends, so whether they have sufficient distributable reserves and that they've formally taken into account those requirements under Section 172 to to act in responsibility for the long-term existence of the company. And then we've got aspects regarding solvency. So the second part of the director's um, statement is regarding whether having paid the dividends, whether the company is able to be remain solvent for the next two years. So this is really putting a forward-looking aspect onto the requirements, whereas historically it was a case of had we got sufficient distributable reserves in the past, this is saying if we pay a dividend, are we able to continue for the foreseeable future, but not just for 12 months, it's now looking out that two-year period. So a lot more onus on directors to actually um, think about these requirements and focus on really what's what's there. So I said, as I said before, it comes down to two aspects, transparency, disclosure, and responsibility. And which element of the proposals in the white paper do you see as the most novel or, or trickiest element for directors to approach right now? So this is this is building upon requirements and adding a new layer of a new layer. So ultimately, companies who pay dividends in the past should have always had a regard to how much distributable profits um, that they actually have within their accounts. Obviously, it's going to vary company to company. There'll be more risks with certain companies or companies who are in a more fragile uh, financial position or who want to pay a significant dividend to those who maybe retain a lot more profits within the business. 
generally the focus is, is on that sort of resilience regarding uh, companies um, surviving in those decisions. So the challenges will both be to determining the number, but with probably a lot more accuracy. But if that number is going to be disclosed within the accounts, it's going to be audited for the first time. So that puts a new requirement on it from that side. And secondly, the challenges around in the directors. Now, these may have, they may well have had already some fiduciary duties within the company's law, but actually making that formal statement, um, I, I call it think twice and think twice before you make a dividend and making sure that it is the responsible thing for you, the business, um, when you make that decision and make sure you've done the analysis to support that decision. So it's just a lot more to think about. Yes, you mentioned the fact there that this will be audited, you're reporting on the on the dividends. Absolutely. So previously, no formal requirement to include this within your uh, annual report. So if the proposals were to come through and you need to disclose uh, an estimate, then it would fall within the scope of the audit. And so what? how will that auditing process change the approach to working on the dividends calculation? I mean, in the past, there's been um, some fairly high-profile examples of where companies have made illegal dividends and when um, companies have, uh, after having made a dividend, shortly thereafter have had profit warnings. So I think it's a question of now putting in that number in the accounts, I think, um, and having the focus on it, it, it provides an element of robustness, hopefully, regarding um, the amount of distributable reserves. So hopefully companies don't fall into some of those uh, traps on, um, you know, in the past of you know, of making payments and illegal dividends. So a little bit more reassurance regarding the process. Absolutely. And directors will have to um, sign off on being solvent, as you as you say, after they've made the dividends that they're proposing. That That's quite a new experience, isn't it? I mean, um, it, it is that, a new experience. It is forward-looking, um, and it's tied into the resilience statements about uh, um, being able to, you know, to meet those liabilities, but for that two-year two-year period. So, it's um, it's it's just saying, is it the right thing to do to make payment dividend? Thinking about that decision and really sort of challenging, uh, you know, at a board level, what companies need to be thinking about and what the board needs to be thinking about whether making a dividend rather than retaining the money within the business at the current time is the most sensible thing to do. I'd probably just sort of add to that as we've sort of seen in the maybe the past 12 to 18 months, companies already cutting back on dividends and and reining, and reining back dividends and sort of trying to sort of suggest that building that resilience within the business. Now, this is a longer term way of trying to actually build that into the sort of the thought process of whether we should retain the cash within the business or should we pay the dividends? Now, obviously, it's a trade-off between keeping investors happy, funding working capital, um, and, uh, and 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 good business decisions. And lastly, before we turn to Matt, can you see these proposals in the white paper actually changing the decisions that companies make about dividends? That they might, you know, having to go through this process now, say, no, no, this is not the time for a dividend. Um, I think it's going to vary. So it's going to vary depending on on the you know your past history and whether you've decided to pay large dividends or whether you retain most of your profits. So it's not going to be a uh, a one size fits all regarding these proposals. 
Um, but but I think it's a question of um, responsibility, good governance, and those around it. I think there there may be an element of restraint, and therefore making those sensible decisions may lead to um, dividend reductions um, in some cases, and and sort of until that sort of uh, headroom of uh, of cash resources is available, really for, for you know for business to to operate and and be comfortable that um, they can sort of meet those solvency requirements and that more more forward looking agenda points. Matt, if I can come to you now on uh, the issue of internal controls, I suppose good companies have always had good internal controls um, underway. What, what what are, they, what are they going to have to do that's new as a result of the proposals in the white paper? Yeah, hi, Gavin. You're right. I think you know, those companies which are you know, leading leading practice, forward thinking, they know that they've got, if you've got good controls that improves performance, it promotes agility, increase confidence. So I think going forward, um, yeah, for some of them, it's not going to be a big change um, for some of these big companies, but for lots of them, it's going to be quite significant because what they're going to need to do practically is look at their annual report, look at their financial statements and start to assess and understand what processes they've got that, that generate all those numbers. And it's really going to be up to those board members to put together process documentation, start testing those controls, and then provide assurance over those controls. And that assurance then has to be put into your annual report. So there's a lot of work in the background to really understand you know, you know, what sort of gaps you've currently got in your control framework, how do you start remediating those controls. Well, what gives music to my ears is making sure you've got a really strong integrated assurance framework. So we often talk about the first, second, and third lines of defense. I think this is a real good opportunity to look at how you get assurance across your business. So you, you may at the moment rely on self-assessments or peer reviews, or you may have second-line functions. And interesting, talking to many audit committee chairs at the moment, you know, we expect to see a lot more assurance uh, more generally. And really, that's probably the direction of travel that we're seeing across corporate governance here at the moment. Now, there was a lot of discussion about the UK potentially having an internal controls regime that mirrored the regime that was introduced in the US under the now well-known Sarbanes-Oxley um, Act. What, where are the differences? Differences. Tell us something about where the UK's proposals de depart from what goes on in the US. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's been very clear that we, we don't want to just adopt what the US regime has at the moment. And I think um, the UK is very much well known for corporate governance being very much principles-based, how we run our companies in this country. Um, the, key, the, key, the real big key difference is that under the current uh, preferred option, is it'll be up to the directors to determine whether the external audits needs to provide a statement uh, or review to test, if you like, uh, what management come up with. So it's very much leaving it squarely with the directors to determine what assurance they're going to do and how they're going to do that. Um, and, and really, I think we, we think that's a great idea. We support that because we think if, if you had external auditors to uh, test or review those controls, you're really just adding extra cost onto, on, onto the company, really. But that will mean that directors will have to take great care with the decisions they make around assurance, won't it? Absolutely. And I think that's a key, key question, a key challenge. I think what you may start to see in the future is people being slightly more selective in terms of what boards they want to go onto, uh, because what this is asking is all directors collectively are responsible for providing that statement on the effectiveness of those controls. So I think we'll start to see some people maybe stepping back from boards or doing, have been on less boards. 
Um, and I think the other thing just to add is that we're talking just about financial reporting controls here. Um, I think what we can see in the future is extending to other types of controls, operational control, sustainability, uh, cybersecurity. All of these things are really, really important. So when you start to think about risk to an organisation, it's not just financial risk. And I think that's really quite important. I think directors are going to need to start thinking about what risks are impacting them. And this ties into what Steve was talking about around the dividend, because you know, we need to understand what's the future strategy of the company, what's the general risk that we're seeing in, in, in these companies. Now, uh, I wonder, for, for many companies, that this is going to be a big piece of work because perhaps in some of them, internal co controls is a peripheral agenda item. So what kind of work, preparatory work, are they going to need to put in now to make sure that they're set up for the preferred option that's highlighted in the audit white paper? Yeah, there's already a lot of work going on. Um, so whilst the responses have come into the consultation paper, we're not expecting any regulation or indeed legislation for another couple of years. But you know, most of the clients I've talked to that are in the FTSE 350 have already done a gap analysis. So they've already worked out you know, where they've got gaps, where there's potential duplications, they put together project teams, steering groups to really start to look at some of these issues. Um, other companies outside the FTSE 350 are keeping a close eye as well, and some of those clients, in fact, have started to do the same thing. Um, so I think for those companies in the FTSE 350, they should be already doing a lot of work around understanding what controls they've already got in place, where they've got gaps, because remediation is no no small task. I mean, that, that could potentially take 12 months, you know, two years to put those sort of things in place. And should should directors view this as yet another piece of regulation or should they view this process as something that will give them some value? I absolutely, absolutely think it should be from value. And funny enough, if you, if you look back to when the UK Corporate Governance Code was initially put together, you know, Provision 29, this is really only a small step in terms of you know, looking at the effectiveness of those controls. Uh, so I think, you know, I think most directors probably saw this coming. Um, it's going to be it's going to be challenging and difficult, um, but I think for some of those large companies, you know, this is possibly a bit of a wake-up call if they haven't already done this. And I think you know, we all see this huge benefit of having you know, the right controls. Uh, you can, you've got much more confidence in the decisions that you're making uh, across an organisation, greater transparency to investors. So this, you know, this has to be a good thing. Steve, let me throw that question back to you there as well on the issue of dividends. Is there is it just regulation or will there some, be some value to be had for boards from the, the new dividends process? I, I think it's, uh, I would say a lot of the proposals are probably endorsing what I would refer to as best practice. So I think it's uh, a lot of the uh, new proposals are really endorsing what companies should have been thinking about in any case. So it is, it is all about, um, you know, enhancing trust, responsibility in corporate reporting, which is the sort of the, at the heart of the base proposals. And this is just one aspect around capital maintenance to make sensible business decisions. So I think, um, you know, getting it right is, you know, for the long-term survival of business and existence and making sure you've got proper resilience within a business is 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 going to be valuable, and therefore people should embrace the proposals rather than consider it to be another layer of bureaucracy or or, or requirements. Matt, if I can uh, come back to you very briefly, what I really want to ask is, what's the environment going to feel like for 
um, board directors once all these proposals are in place? I, th I think you know, I've talked to lots of board members and audit committee chairs, and they're they're, all, they're welcoming in generally a consensus that they're welcoming some of these changes. And I think it's going to give them much more comfort in terms of the roles they're going to be taking going forward. As I said at the outset, I think they'll be a little bit more selective. But I think we should really be thinking this is an opportunity, really, to, to improve corporate governance across the UK. Um, you know, controls are really important. We need to understand our risks better. We need to understand you know, horizon scanning, understand future risks impacting our strategy. And controls are there just to support the business. Um, yes, it may take a bit of time, cost a bit of money to put some things in place up front. But from terms of long-term sustainability, this this is definitely the, the right direction to be going. Steve, do you do you agree with that? Even with the dividends um, rules coming in in the white paper, it'll lead to boards understanding their businesses a, a, a lot more. Absolutely, and one of the direct statements is it, you know that they're needing to do is actually consider the requirements of the business as they understand it. So really, understanding the businesses. Is at sort of the bedrock of sort of making those uh, making those decisions, and if there's more risk, you're going to need to do more work, and that's where you need to potentially get more assurance regarding that. So, um, all in all, I think you know boards have got to to you know think about this, and as I said before, to em to embrace the uh, proposals um, to strengthen their corporate reporting. And Matt, just uh, very quickly, if you were to offer one piece of advice to boards around internal controls as they consider the white paper proposals, what would it be? Get started straight away. You know, this is not going to be a quick fix. Um, it's going to take investment to, to build the optimal level of controls. And I think, you know, we touched on the US there. There's definitely some lessons we can learn from the US um, and how we can do this much more effectively here in the UK. So, you know, but let's not get, let's not wait, let's get started, do gap analysis, understand where you've got gaps and put in place a program to address these in a sustainable way. Steve, your top tip? Uh, again, um, around starting early, make sure you really understand what your distributable reserves position actually actually is and, uh, and think about the transparency in reporting and enhancing your disclosures. Steve Bryce, Matt Dalton, thanks very much for joining us. That's all for this programme. And many thanks to all of you, our listeners, for joining us on this podcast. You can find all your corporate governance news, analysis and updates over at boardagenda.com. But for now, it's goodbye and look forward to having you join us for the next edition of the Board Agenda podcast. That was a podcast brought to you by Board Agenda. For the latest thinking about corporate governance and to access a complete online resource for boards and directors, Register or log on at boardagenda.com. Thanks for listening.